0: Thanks for tuning in Dream City Omaha, where we're all about helping each other discover Christ, recover identity, and uncover purpose. We hope this message impacts your life, and be sure to like and subscribe for more. How's everybody doing today? Good. It's good to see you. How many of you guys are, are going through the Bible reading plan with us? Good. A lot, of us, a lot of us are, if you're doing it on the app, if you're doing it uh, at home, on your own, however it is that you're doing it. I, w- I want to encourage you in that. Don't, uh, don't give up. Keep persevering. Keep pushing on. I know we're only nine days into the year, uh, and so it's like we're already having to encourage one another in this because we are reading through it chronologically. Presently, we find ourselves right in the middle of the book of Job. And, uh, and if you've never read the book of Job, number one, the book of Job's a long book, yes. 42 chapters. And so for those of you that read chapter 23 this morning, you're like, I'm only halfway through. Hang in there. Persevere. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Keep working through that. So it's a long book. It's a hard book. It's a difficult book to read, especially when it's negative 10 degrees outside. Right, like it'd be different if we were reading Job in the summertime. And after we read Job's plight, we could be like, "Well, I'm just gonna go walk around the block because it's so nice outside." But we read it, and it's like, "I feel you, Job," because I literally can't do anything right now. So it's a hard book. It's a long book. Um, but I, I do want to encourage you, like, don't, don't get tired. Don't give up keep pushing on, keep asking God, God, what are you trying to show me? This is inspired of you. Holy Spirit, you inspired somebody to write this for some reason for me today. Show me what you want to show me through your word. And, and if you'll do that and allow him to, to speak, there are things that as we've been reading through Job uh, that I had never seen before that, that hadn't been revealed to me before, different ways of uh, of looking at that text and and applying it to to my heart, to my life, um, it's easy for us to read Job and and think that we're Job. <laughs> oh, but seriously, like when when you read it, it's easy to be like, oh yeah, I remember when I went through that hard time and I felt like this. But how many of us, as we're reading through it, we're like, man, I, I'm kind of like Job's friend, yeah, that's, yeah. Come on. right? Like. <laughs> In, in my understanding, I give advice based on what I think to be true, and nobody can convince me otherwise. And we're not going to talk about Job this week. We will talk about Job next week. We're going to cover the entire book of Job, like the whole 42? Yeah, because from 3 to 35, they're just talking back and forth, so like we, can, we can cover that like that. But as, I, as I've been reading through it, like one of the challenges for me is as Job's friends are giving him advice, they're giving it with their own understanding. And it's not even that they're right or that Job was right, because spoiler alert for those that haven't got there yet, God comes at the end and he's like, neither one of you were right. Some of you are like, you just spoiled it for me. I'm sorry. But God comes, so, so it's not about being right or being wrong, but like... We look at that today with the context that we have, but if we put ourselves in their day, in their situation, with their understanding, it means something totally different. And it's easy for us now 4,000 years later to look back and judge on what was happening when in reality we all just do the exact same thing. In our echo chambers, in what we believe to be right, we give advice in, well, this is the truth because this is what I've heard because this is what I know to be true because this is what I surround myself with. So what you're saying is wrong. And then on the other side, it's like, no, what you're saying is wrong because my experience has told me this. And we go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And so I just want to encourage you in that. Like when you read it, don't be like, man, Job, I relate to you even though sometimes we do, but like, as you read it, be like, is there any of Job's friends in me that wants to just get up there and say, no, this is, this is what it is because I said so. So anyway, we're not going to get, again, we're not going to get into, uh, into, thank you, Angel. We're not going to get into Job this week. There's a technology demon in here. So, uh, just want to encourage you, like, if you remember, think about it, pray for it this week. Um, I joke somewhat, but this morning Christian was getting out of his truck and broke his phone and then the stream's not working. And then my iPad just froze. So, you know, just one of those things that as church leaders, we joke about the technology demons that come out on Sundays. (laughs) Rabbit trails this morning. We're not going to talk about Job. We'll talk about Job next week, but I I do want us to, to go back to where we were at the beginning of this week. Last week, Uh, We talked about Genesis 1 through 3. We looked at the story of creation through the fall of man, um, this week, we've, we've read a little bit of Genesis up through chapter 11. Then we started Job. We'll be continuing Job this week in our Bible reading plan. For those of you that are just joining us, maybe for the first time this year, what we're doing is we're reading through the Bible chronologically together. And then when we gather on Sundays, we will be discussing what we have read during the course of that week. So today, I want us to, to go back to Genesis. I know we're reading Job Uh, But I want us to go back into Genesis. I want us to, to look at kind of the state of affairs, what happened leading up to Noah and the flood. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, we see the fall of man. The serpent comes, tempts Eve and Adam. They they fall into sin. They partake of the fruit. Sin enters the the world, enters humanity with it death. God gives the curse at the end of Genesis 3 to the man, to the woman, and then to the serpent. Removes them from the garden. That's kind of a recap of last week. In in chapter 4, we see Adam and Eve coming together, producing children, Cain and Abel. We see Cain killing his brother Abel, God confronting him about it, He tries to deny it, God removes him, banishes him, casts him out, and is, is, as Cain is removed and is, is cursed, he responds to God and says, God, your punishment is too severe for me because if you're, if you're sending me out there, anybody who's out there that finds me is going to kill me. Now, I've had some questions this week, particularly who are these people that Cain is afraid of? If, if there's Adam and there's Eve in the garden and then there's Cain and then there's Abel and God removes Cain and casts out, who, who is Cain afraid that is going to kill him? And here is the answer to that question. Are you ready? The answer is this. We don't know. True story. Like, we, we don't know. Who, who are they? I no idea. We could sit here, and we can theorize, and we can talk, and we could have conversation, but it wouldn't be productive because at the end of the day, that's one of those things in Scripture that we have to just understand we don't have all of the answers. We just don't. We don't know everything. What's interesting about your Bible is that what we've read up until this point through Genesis chapter 11 We've, we've kind of stopped right before Abraham is called. But in, in my Bible, that takes me from page 3 to page 12. So that's nine pages of my Bible and 11 chapters. The first 11 chapters of your Bible deal with the first 2,000 years of human history. The first 11 chapters of your Bible, from Adam to Abraham is the first 2,000 years of humanity being on the earth. The other 1188 chapters in your Bible is the next 2,000 years. So here we have 2,000 years, and here we have 2,000 years. What that says is there are things that happened during that time. You can't can't give 2,000 years of history in 11 pages. And that's not the purpose of the book of Genesis either. We have to, again, understand that, yes, we live in 2020 with an enlightened intelligence and way of thinking. We, we know the scientific method. We know that you hypothesize, and then you test, and then you come to a conclusion, and if you can repeat it, then you know that it's true. We, we have this way of thinking and reading and interpreting and understanding that, that one of our biggest questions is, is it historically accurate? To the, to the first century, to ancient peoples, that wouldn't have mattered. Is it historically accurate? Is it scientifically provable? They never would have asked those questions. The questions that they would have asked would have been, what does this mean? What does this tell me about humanity? What does this tell me about the heart of God? What, do, what is the big picture? And with us, with our, with our elevated way of thinking, we miss out on so much of what God's word is telling us because it's like, well, but who are these people in Genesis 4? does it matter? Is that the point of the story? Is that, is that why the Holy Spirit inspired to write it? No. What is this showing me about God's heart? What is this showing me about humanity? What is this showing me about the plight of mankind? What is this showing me? How is this revealing to me my desperate need for a savior? Those are the questions that as we read scripture, we now now understand, yes, there are some of those things and we will talk about those things. We're not just gonna skip over those things. It's like if your kid came home at midnight, like, hey, dad, here's the keys to the car. I wrecked it on the way in, but I'll see you later. (laughs) Like, whoa, 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 hold on. What did you just say? Like, there are gonna be things that we read in scripture that's like, wait, 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 wait. What are we talking about here? Today, we'll kind of touch on one of those things. We're gonna talk about the, the Nephilim. But there are things in scripture where, whether it's Balaam's donkey, there's a talking donkey. And if you read that in any voice other than Eddie Murphy from Shrek, <laughs> something is wrong with you. <laughs> like, that's a nice bold. Like, how do you not read Balaam's donkey as Eddie Murphy? Like, <laughs> duh, there's a talking donkey. We see, we see one of my favorite stories in all of scripture is Elisha. He finally becomes a prophet and he's walking down the road and these boys from a village come out and they start teasing him saying, go away, Baldy, go away, Baldy. Like that's their insults that they're throwing. And Elisha, Elisha turns around, he curses them. And upon this curse being doled out to these children, two mama bears come out of the forest and kill 42 of these kids. What? What? What are we talking about here? Like, listen, that's in your Bible. So when people come to me like, I can't read the Bible, the Bible's just too boring. We got Mama Bear's, we got the Revenant playing out with 42 little kids. We got Shrek 2's donkey. In the Bible, we've got in Genesis 6, we've got angels singing Marvin Gaye to women. How can you tell me that your Bible is anything but boring? Start reading it. It's all in there. Trust me. We better get started today. So Genesis 4, we see Cain and Abel. Uh, Genesis 5 kind of gives us the lineage from Adam to Noah. Here's, Here's what stood out to me in Genesis chapter 5 is the fact that Adam was almost alive when Noah was born. Noah was Adam's great, 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 great grandson. So, nine generations from Adam to Noah because they lived so long. In fact, Noah's grandfather, Methuselah, recorded the, the, the longest age in all of the Bible 969 years. Yes. Methuselah, Noah's grandpa. But, but Adam was alive when Noah's dad was born. Adam missed the flood by 700 years. And It seems like, well, oh, that's a long time. Well, it's not, it's just one generation. So it's it's crazy how interconnected everything was in that day but but Genesis 6 let's get let's just get into the text. Genesis chapter 6 is where we're going to start. It says this, when man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, hey, and they took as their wives any that they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever for his flesh. His days shall be 120 years. We see after the flood, this decrease in the length of life in mankind. Is that what God is referring to here? Possibly, probably. But they went from living seven, eight, nine hundred 900 years to even a few generations later, like 150. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And, after, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. So let's just pause right there because this is one of those things, right? What, who are these sons of God that are, that are singing Marvin Gaye to these daughters of men, producing offspring who were the giants that lived in the land, even the when the, the children of Israel, we'll read this, when they go to scout out the land of Canaan, Joshua and Caleb come back with the good report. And the rest of them are like, no, we can't go because the people are too big. We saw the descendants. The Nephilim are still there. We saw the descendants of them. There are giants in the land. We look like grasshoppers to them, if you remember that story. And so who are these, who are these individuals? What is this race of giants? Who are these angels? Is it angels that we're talking about? Is this humans who are... Who are, who are Producing other humans. What's happening here? Again, we don't really know. We can use Scripture to interpret Scripture. So so there's there's two basic ways to interpret this Scripture. The first way is this, that the sons of God refers to the righteous offspring and lineage of Adam and Eve's third child mentioned, which is Seth. So Seth was righteous. His line is righteous. That's what brought us to Noah from the line of Seth. Cain was cast out. His line then was was wickedness. They They were spreading. They were planting cities, doing all of that stuff. So we could read the text as the sons of righteousness, the sons of God, those from the line of Seth, looked upon the daughters of those that have descended from Cain's line, they went against instruction and, and produced children who became these great warriors. And we could, we could read it that way. You could interpret it that way. And I'm not going to argue with you if you do interpret it that way. But when we look at the, the language that it was written in, the Hebrew sons of God that is used here in Genesis chapter 6 is the Hebrew words B'nai Elohim. And if you look for that phrase, that word, that descriptor in the rest of scriptures, we will see that we actually read two of them this week in Job chapter one and Job chapter two, when the sons of God present themselves before God, and that's when Satan shows up as well. So here in Job, it's painting this this heavenly scene, God sitting in his court, angels coming before to present themselves to him, the sons of God, B'nai Elohim, same phraseology that is used in Genesis chapter 6, talking about these sons of God. So if we use scripture to interpret scripture, throughout scripture, when we see sons of God in this way, in the Old Testament, it's referring to angelic divine beings. Now, yes, in the New Testament, we are children of God because we've been adopted into his family, but the language is totally different. And so we can read it as sons of Seth, daughters of Cain, sons of God, daughters of men coming together, but their understanding of this text would have been that there were divine beings, angels, who looked upon the women of men, saw that they were pleasing, came into them, how we don't know, but created offspring who became the giants, the warriors that then their line was Con- continued on, carried on. And then at this point, God's like, wait a second. We've got to flood this thing because it's getting way out of hand. And so, so again, like just one of those things, what's the right interpretation? I don't know. I lean towards angels and humans because that's what I see in scripture and elsewhere. And so that's, that's my interpretation. If yours is different, I'm not going to argue with it because this is one of those things that it's like, we don't really know, right? So, but again, just to set the stage for where, where we are, the state of affairs on the earth is such that this type of thing is, is going on. So let's continue. Verse five, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of his thoughts, of the thoughts of his heart, was only evil continually. What's interesting to me is that in the New Testament, when when asked, what's it going to be like at the end, one of the answers get like, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. So, so right before Jesus comes back, one of, the, one of the litmus tests that you can take is, was it like what it was like when, when Noah was on the earth? What, what was it like? Wickedness. Every intention and thought of the heart was evil continually. Like As I look around, we're getting pretty close to that, if not having crossed over that line already. Verse number six, and the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth and it grieved him to his heart. Now, what does this mean? Does it mean like, you know, God's sitting up there drinking his coffee one morning is like angels, I think I messed up. Like, I, don't, I don't know if I should have done that. Like, you see what these guys are doing? Have you seen how jacked up it is down there? Do you understand what is happening, right? Like, is that, no, I don't think that's what it is. I think what it is, is it speaks to the righteousness of God being unable to be okay with unrighteousness, knowing that he needed to judge it in some way in that breaking his heart because he loves his creation so much. I think that's when, when God, when he regretted it. It's not that he regretted making mankind. It's not that he regretted that mankind was on the earth. It's that he regretted that, that it was even in this situation to where the, the righteousness of God demanded justice for the unrighteousness of mankind. He says, I will blot out men whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I'm sorry that I have made them. Verse eight, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, if you have a different translation, that word will either be favor or grace. Interchangeable. The same, it's the same word translated one of two ways, either as favor or as grace. What is grace? Grace is the unmerited favor of God. So here Noah is finding favor in God's eyes, finding grace in God's eyes, despite the wickedness going on around him. Now, is that because Noah was without sin? No, no. But I would say that Noah was, was righteous in God's eyes. But what is that? It's having right relationship with God. Does that mean that he was without sin? No, because of the fall of men, everyone born has a sin nature. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. It's just this inherent in humanity. why Jesus had to come to begin with. And so it's not that he was without sin, but there was this right standing, this reverence of God, God looks upon humanity, says, You guys are all messed up. Noah, I'm gonna take you, I'm gonna save you, I'm gonna separate you, and I'm gonna start again with you. And over the next several chapters, that's what we that's what we see. Is as we look at this, it's interesting because the Old Testament, and I've told you, you, you know. As you read the Old Testament, look for Jesus, look for the gospel, because it's always there. The the Old Testament is a picture of what the New Testament is. The the, the New Testament is like the, the tangible. The Old Testament is the picture of what is coming to be. And as we read the story of Noah and his ark, we see it everywhere from chapter six through chapter nine. The gospel is everywhere. It starts with verse eight, Noah found grace In the eyes of the Lord, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Why was Noah saved to begin with? Because God looked upon him and showed him grace and showed him favor. It's the same with you and you and me. We are not saved of anything that we've done. We are saved simply by the grace of God. It's 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 not my righteousness. It's not that I've never sinned. It's not that you've never sinned is that God looked down and had grace and has poured out his favor upon us. We are saved by grace through what? Faith. faith. That's what Ephesians chapter two says. We are saved by grace through faith and it's a free gift of God. It's not anything that we've produced so that none of us can boast about it. So here we see, see God having, having grace and favor upon Noah. Then he comes to Noah. And he says, Noah, here's my plan. Here's what I'm going to do. Verse 13, I've decided to destroy all living creatures for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth. So here's what I want you to do, Noah, verse 14. Build a large boat from cypress wood, waterproof it inside and out, then construct, construct deck stalls throughout its interior. Noah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cause the, the earth to flood. Noah's like, what's a flood? Noah, it's gonna rain for 40 days and 40 nights. God, what's rain? Because there's... there's There's evidence, and most scholars believe that that up until this point, it had not rained on the earth. So God comes to Noah and says, Noah, listen, I'm going to show you grace. You found favor with me. Now here's what I'm going to do, and I just need you to trust me. I'm going to make it rain, God, what's rain? All the way until it floods, God, what's a flood? No, I need you to build a boat. God, what's a boat? (laughs) Noah, just trust me. It's grace through faith. God showed grace upon Noah, but if Noah didn't have the faith to trust God, if he didn't have the faith to start building this ark, if he didn't didn't have the faith to, to believe that what God said is true, what God said about humanity, what God said about himself, what God said about his plan, if he didn't have the faith to believe it, would there have been a way of salvation for him and his family, for us today? He's saved by grace through faith, same as you and me. Hebrews chapter 11 says this of Noah. says that it was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family. What is the gospel? The gospel is that we are saved by grace through faith. It's when we put our trust in God and say, God, what you said is true about who you are and about who I am. I'm a sinner in need of a savior and you are that savior. So I put my faith in you in response to the grace that you've shown me. Now I can find salvation. That's how Noah found salvation, by grace through faith. Yes, yes. And his faith led him to obedience. It says that Noah did everything that the Lord had instructed him. His faith in response to God's grace led him to this place of God, whatever you want me to do is what I'm going to do. That is how you and I are instructed in the New Testament to live in response to the grace poured out on us. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Not like, if you love me, you know what to, no, but out of the abundance of your love for me will flow this lifestyle of obedience. So his, his faith was lived out by obedience. James chapter two, someone will say you have faith and I have works, but I say this, show me your faith apart from your works. And I'll show you my faith by my works. What's he saying? He's saying, yes, I have faith, but my faith leads me to action. Yes, I have faith, but my faith leads me to obedience. If you're here today and you have faith, but your faith is not leading you to a place of obedience to Christ and obedience to his word, then then you need to ask yourself what kind of faith you have and what your faith is in. Because true faith, whether it's the faith that Noah had or the faith that you and I are to walk in today, leads us to this place of obedience. Noah gets on the ark. God closes up the ark. And, and, you know, we, those of us that grew up in church, we, we think back to Sunday school, right? With the flannel graphs and the brightly colored pictures and the little boat with the giraffe's head sticking out of the top. How many of you guys have a picture in your mind of what I'm talking about right now? Like when we think about the flood, that's what we, that's what we think about. It's like, oh, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Like, man, that must've been, must've been rough. You know, on a ship with these animals. And first of all, who let the mosquito in? Like all these questions that we have about how this happened and what it must have been like. And for, for 40 days, I couldn't imagine being on the ark for 40 days. They weren't on the ark for 40 days. They were on for over a year. Get rain for 40 days, like that would be miserable. That's why I could never live in Seattle or the Pacific Northwest. Like just too much rain. Like, no, I can't do that. 40 days, 40 nights, it rained. And then the waters kind of began to go down. After five months, they found themselves like, all right, now we're on top of a mountain. Let's let some birds out. Bird came back. Let's let him out a week later. He came back with a a stick in his mouth this time. So there's something out there. Let's let him out again. After a couple more months, now the ground is right. They're on the ark for over a year with these animals. And it's not even the animals that I don't understand, it's the fact that they were there with each other. Like Noah was there with his kids for a year in a confined space. Like you thought quarantine two years ago was bad. CDC's even like, no, just five days. Like we can't make you do more than five. And God's like, no, Noah, you got a year quarantine with your family. I go, I'm sorry, what? After a year, after a year, they step off of this boat, dry ground. The first thing that Noah does is what? Those of you that have read it, he offers a sacrifice, he worships. The first thing that he does is, God, thank you. God, thank you that... You saved us. God, thank you that you chose us. God, we are not worthy. God, thank you that I didn't kill my wife and she didn't kill me. God, thank you that we we all made it. God, you are incredible. God, you are good. God, we honor you. God, we worship you. See, what God did for Noah, the grace, the mercy, the favor given to Noah, caused Noah to respond in worship. Why do we worship? Because of the greatness of our God. Because of the goodness and the faithfulness of our God. Because despite being sinners who deserve to die, God looked down on us and chose to send his son. That if we, in response to his grace, would put our faith in him, and lead us to a life of obedience, then we, like Noah, can find salvation in spite of what's happening around us and what's happening to us. Our salvation will not be because of how good we are, but because of how good our God is. Yeah. Come on. That's why we worship. That's why, that's why Noah worships. So he gets out. He makes this altar. He offers sacrifices. He, he worships. And at the end of all of this, God comes to know, he's like, hey, no. Listen, man, like over the last year, I've been thinking about it. That was kind of intense. I promise I won't do that again. Yeah, it's like, I promise I will never destroy. <laughs> Here's what I love. God's like, I promise I'll never destroy the earth with a flood again. And if I was no, I was like, what about by, like, fire? <laughs> like, God, what about, like, tornadoes? No, I promise I'll never flood the earth again. Okay, but I hear you, God. But, like, what about these other natural disasters that could potentially, like, can we, can we, can we include that in the covenant? God's like, no, because one day I will have to destroy the earth with fire. But I promise I'll never flood the earth again. And, and so he says, this is my covenant. That, that I will never destroy the earth. I will never destroy all the animals. I will, I will never destroy humanity by a flood again. And as a sign of our covenant agreement, in a sign of, of the agreement that I have today made with you, here is the sign. The, the rainbow in the sky will forever be, every time you see the rainbow, you can remember the covenant. Now, why is that important? When do rainbows happen? After a storm, Right. It had, if it had never rained until Noah, Noah's flood, then imagine Noah getting off of this boat, offering God's sacrifices, walking away, no covenant. The next time he saw a dark cloud in the sky, <laughs> get the kids, like hide your kids, hide your wife because it's coming, right? Like it would have been like the crews, like everybody to the back of the cave now he would have had that thinking. Why? Because the last time I saw that cloud, the earth was destroyed. But God comes to him and says, hey, listen, it's okay. Every time you see this, it will bring you peace. It will comfort you, knowing that I will never again destroy the earth in such a way. So so God comes, shows grace and favor to Noah. Noah by by faith, activated, lives out a life of obedience, does what God says, hides himself away in the ark for a year. Him and his family find salvation through a a miraculous act of God. He gets off, offers worship, and then at the end of it all, God says, okay, now here's gonna be our covenant. God makes a covenant with Noah. Noah. In the New Testament, Jesus was there with his disciples and he's breaking the bread and he's taking a glass of wine. And he says, this wine is, is the new covenant. See, there were covenants made. There was a covenant with Noah and there was a covenant with Abraham and there was a covenant with David, but, but this is the new covenant. And this is the covenant of my blood. See, Noah entered into relationship with God in that moment and out of it came a covenant Showing and remembering his salvation we enter into relationship with the heavenly Father through the new covenant of Jesus Christ. As you read the story of Noah and the ark and the salvation there's so much there Noah put one door on the ark by one door all of those who will be saved come through Jesus says I am the way I am the truth I am the life I am the gatekeeper I am the one by by me you must come through me to get to the father just as there was one door on Noah's ark leading to salvation there is one door here and now and it is me and this is the only way to salvation there's so much In this story, in the scripture, that if you would slow down and read it and look at it and allow the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you, you would begin to see like, man, I'm not even Noah. Like I'm the unrighteous living out in the world and God being a righteous God, one who has to judge unrighteousness, one day will do so. How do I find salvation? It's through the one door. God, would you look upon me with grace and favor as I place my faith and my hope and my trust in you? Would you, through your spirit, allow me to live this life of obedience to your word that at the end of it all, I might hear, well done, good and faithful servant. See, we read this and it's like, oh, that's cute. I remember hearing that. I remember reading that in Sunday school. No, stop. Like, this has so much to say to us today. And it causes us to, to look inward. If my God is a righteous God who will judge unrighteousness, God, if there is anything in me that grieves your heart, remove it. God, if I've, if I've never invited you into my life as Lord and Savior, if I've never placed my faith and my trust in you in response to the grace given by, by sending your son, God, God, help me to do that. We see ourselves in and the plight of humanity in the story of Noah. But we also see the goodness, the faithfulness, and the mercy of our God in this story as well. And just as God looked upon Noah and his family and showed them grace, God looks upon us today, not in light of our unrighteousness or our sin, but in light of the price and the sacrifice that his son paid. When he looks at me, he doesn't see my unrighteousness. He sees the righteousness that Jesus has imputed upon me as a result of my faith in him and his grace extended. Amen? Amen. Amen. Stand with me this morning. Good stuff. We're, just, we're only two weeks into this thing. It's going to be good. Again, like, get through Job. It's going to be good. Next week we're going to talk about Job. It's going to to be fun next week too, I promise. But today, as as we dismiss, I just want to, I want to give you an opportunity, give you an opportunity to respond to the word of the Lord. If you're here today and, and you feel the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart, well, I've never felt that. How do I know? Your hands are sweaty. There's, this, there's this, this urging and this sense inside of you like, man, that's for me. And if you've, never, if you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, if you've never placed your faith in him, if you've never died to your ways to pick up his ways, if you've never repented of your wickedness and your sinfulness, to turn from that, God, I don't want to live that way anymore. Would you empower me to live this new life? If you've never, if you've never taken a step from from the sin nature into spirit nature. If you've never allowed the redemption that Jesus came to offer to cover you, to cover your mind, to cover your heart, to cover your life, I'm gonna give you the opportunity to do so today. The Bible says that that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord would be saved. That if we would believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that one, Jesus is Lord and two, that God raised him from the dead. You are who you said you were, who you still say you are. I put my faith and my trust in you. I repent. I recognize the error of my ways. I turn from that, not just that I'm sorry, not just I regret doing that, my God, I turn from that. I don't want to live that anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to think that anymore. I don't want those habits anymore. I don't want those actions anymore. Would your spirit help me to live a new life in you? If you've never taken that step, I want to give you the opportunity to do so today. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, just a simple prayer. There's nothing magical about this prayer, special about this prayer. It's just a prayer of repentance, a prayer of faith, a prayer of dedication, a prayer of acceptance. But as we pray this, mean it, mean it from your heart. And if if that's you and and those things that I say, you're like, yes, that's, that's the life that I want. That's what I want to do. Then as you pray this prayer, here's the promise that God makes, that he will write your name into his book of life, that you will be adopted into his family. And he has chosen you to be a part of his family. Not just today, not just tomorrow. The hope that we have, the promise we hold on to is that it's for all eternity. So if that's you, just pray this prayer with me. Just say, Jesus, thank you so much for your mercy, the grace, the favor that you've poured out, that you've given up your life, so that I could have new life in you. And today, I repent. I recognize that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I place my faith, my hope, my trust in you today. Help me to live for you from this day forward for the rest of my life. Make me brand new. May my faith lead me to a life of obedience as I found salvation today. In Jesus' name. Let me pray for you today. God, I thank you. Lord, I thank you that, that as we as we look into your word, Second Timothy says that, that all scripture is inspired. All scripture is useful. It's useful for correcting. It's useful for teaching. It's useful for rebuking. It's, it's useful, God, to, to show us the things we're doing good, to show us the things that we're missing the, 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 the errors, we're missing the mark. Lord, today as we study your words, we get into your word, thank you for the revelation from your word. The revelation first of who you are, of your character, of your righteousness. And, and yes, as a righteous God, your, your need to judge the unrighteousness of the world. But God, also your love and your grace and your mercy and your faithfulness and your provision and, and so much of your character shown in this story as you, you chose Noah and his family and protected and provided and watched out and, and then at the end made a promise that even to this day you have been faithful to. And we thank you for who you are, the revelation of, of our wickedness. Even as we read in the days of Noah, all the thoughts in their minds and all the the attitudes in their hearts were, were evil continually. God, if I'm honest like that, sounds a lot like me. There's some jacked up things in my head, God. Messed up things in my heart. God, I don't deserve the grace and the favor you've given. It's a free gift though and we thank you for that. God, as we go from this place, I pray that you would help us to live that life of obedience that our faith and the grace would propel us into obedience, living according to your word, to what you've said, to what you've commanded, what you've instructed. God, I thank you that, that like Noah, we can find salvation in you. Noah, looked to that ark to, to be his salvation today. We look to you we thank you and we found it in you. We love you this morning. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen, amen. this morning. Hey, listen, before you're dismissed, if you're here today and, and you want some prayer, our prayer team is down here. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, if you want somebody to agree with you on anything, we would love to be able to do that. Also tonight, uh, tonight we're, we're gathering back in the life room. For those of you that are interested, we're gonna get together and discuss the scripture kind of have group conversation, maybe have large group conversation, uh, just wanting to create an environment and an atmosphere where we can study God's word together. So if you're interested in that tonight, uh, six o'clock, uh, we'll see you guys then. If not, stick with Job. We'll get through it. Next week, we'll discuss it. Love you guys. Be blessed. At Dream City Omaha, we're all about helping each other do great things. Discover Christ, Recover Identity, and Uncover Purpose. Please check out our past sermon series or online discipleship classes. And don't forget to hit subscribe and the bell for notifications on all of our latest videos.